Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of our podcast series, Catching the Last Wave. I'm Giulio Fabris and I will be your host today. Our guest for our episode today is Honorable Seve Paeni, the Minister of Finance of Tuvalu. Honorable Seve started his career as Assistant Planning Officer with Tuvalu's Ministry of Finance in 1988 and became the Ministry Director of Planning in 1989. His long political career includes serving as permanent secretary in the Ministry of Education and Sports and in the Ministry of Finance, Economic Planning and Industries. Seve also served as the Tuvaluan High Commissioner to Fiji in 2006. His experience includes also working in the Pacific with regional organizations such as PREP, as the Sustainable Development Advisor from 2007 to 2010, as well as a consultant with UNDP, UNSCAP and the Pacific Island Forum Secretariat. Before being appointed as the Ministry of Finance of Tuvalu in 2019, he served as the Head of Secretariat of the Oceania Customs Organization from 2015 to 2019. In his current position, he acts as the Governor of the National Bank of Tuvalu and he represents Tuvalu on the Board of Governors of the Asian Development Bank. In October 2019, he attended the annual meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank Group, representing the nine Pacific Island countries of the Federated States of Micronesia, Kiribati, Marshall Island, Nauru, Palau, Samoa, Solomon Island, Vanuatu and Tuvalu. Finally, Seve Paenio is also the nephew of Bikenibeu Paenio, the former Prime Minister of Tuvalu, who was also our guest in our podcast in the previous episodes. As Seve led the Tuvalu representation at COP26, on this episode we will focus on his thoughts and impressions about the Glasgow summit held last month. His first-hand experience will allow us to better understand the outcomes of this decisive event, especially with regards to the Pacific. Thank you, Seve, for being here with us today. It is an honor to have you as part of our podcast. I would like to start our interview asking you a bit an introductory question about your work in the Pacific and in Tuvalu. More specifically, can you please give us an insight of how you are addressing climate change and related security risks in your country? Thank you. As the Minister responsible for climate change in Tuvalu, I oversee Tuvalu's uh, response and actions towards addressing climate change. In Tuvalu, we are at the front line of the impact of climate change. So it is something very, very dear and close to our hearts. So what we are currently doing is to ensure that uh, our people and their livelihoods are protected from the impact of climate change. And this involves looking at uh, food security, looking at uh, protecting our land and especially our foreshores from being eroded. We're looking at uh, water security, strengthening our needs and meeting our needs uh, in terms of uh, food security and water security, and also in terms of uh, energy, energy supply through the use of uh, renewable energy. So there's a whole range of uh, climate-related uh, initiatives that uh, we are currently undertaking into one. At the regional Uh, level through the Pacific Islands uh, Forum. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, agreement and declaration that have been endorsed by the leaders 
on climate change. Some of them include the Pacific uh, Resilience uh, Facility. Uh, there is a Pacific Insurance, Testrophy Insurance uh, Facility. And having a platform in the region to advocate to the international community on the plight of the Pacific Islands countries and how the Pacific countries uh, could uh, be supported to address the impact of climate change and sea level rise. Those are some of the, the work that we do in Tuvalu and also uh, through the Pacific Islands uh, Forum. Thank you so much, Save. Thank you so much for giving us an insight of your work. It's great to know about your effort at the country level. We all know and we also stress it in our project that Tuvalu is at, at the forefront of climate change. So it's great to know all your efforts to fight uh, climate change and the related security risks, especially water and uh, food security, as well as energy issues. And also, thank you for giving us uh, a bit of an insight of the work at the regional level. It's great to know that uh, the Pacific is working together in a framework to address climate change, which is affecting not only Tuvalu, unfortunately, but the whole region is at the forefront of uh, climate change. So thank you for that. And let me go to our second question, in which I would like to focus for our topic today, which is uh, COP26. So you recently led the Tuvalu representation to COP26 which has been considered by many the most important COP after the 2015 Paris Agreement. So I know it will not be easy to uh, squeeze it in a few minutes, but can you please tell us about your experience and highlighting the, maybe the most relevant takeaways of the event, especially regarding the Pacific region? So Tuvalu went to Glasgow with very high expectations and hopes that COP26 would deliver on the promises of the Paris Agreement. So in the first few days of the summit, especially during the World Summit of World Leaders, there was an encouraging commitment uh, made by the leaders to address climate change. However, throughout the, the negotiation in the two weeks uh, following, became uh, quite intense and challenging in terms of uh, for the small island developing states, the least developed countries and the developing countries to get their main issues into the decision of uh, the COP. At the end, we had made some progress. So the climate pact, the Glasgow Climate Pact, which is the title of the uh, agreement uh, document coming out of Glasgow, represented uh, and covered a whole range of issues that uh, were discussed during COP. And for us from the Pacific, there were mixed assessment in terms of uh, the outcomes of uh, Glasgow. The good uh, progress that uh, was made were in terms of, even though the target of 1.5 degree trajectory for global average temperatures. The pledges that had been made by the countries, while they may fall short of reaching that 1.5 degree target, the parties are now thinking about measurable mitigation measures rather than just vague targets. There was also significant commitment made by big emitting nations like the US and China. Just a few days after the opening of the summit, both China and the US issued a rare joint statement reaffirming their country's commitment to combating climate change and implementing the Paris Agreement. So there is now an expression of commitment by countries to really try and work 
towards achieving that 1.5 degree threshold. The Glasgow COP was also the first ever mention of fossil fuels in a COP agreement. To me, that is a successful outcome where it calls for parties to accelerate the phase-down of uh, coal power and the phase-out of inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. Although for the Pacific and the small island developing states and others wanted uh, a stronger language to phase out coal power, we feel that just a mention of fossil fuels in the COP agreement is a step, however small, in the right direction. There was also a pledge by over 110 countries which signed to a global methane commitment to reducing methane emissions by 30% by 2030. So again, that's uh, an expression of commitment to not only reducing carbon emissions, but uh, also other greenhouses, gases like uh, methane, which contributes quite uh, significantly to overall emissions. And then uh, there was also a pledge to hold deforestation by 2030, and there were over 140 country signing on to that uh, pledge. So again, that's a a significant commitment to achieving and keeping that 1.5 target uh, alive. In terms of climate finance, there was some discussion about the need for countries, especially for developed countries, to raise their climate uh, finance commitment because the the current target of 100 billion per year hasn't uh, been met. So there was that reaffirmation in the COP agreement to realize that uh, commitment. The Pacific and the small island developing states feel that climate finance is heavily skewed to mitigation. So there was a call to double adaptation financing by 2025. Um, So again, that's an achievement in itself. There was also an agreement over the next two years to develop a global goal on adaptation. And then finally, on the issue of uh, loss and damage, the Pacific countries were pleased with the recognition of slow onset events as part of the loss and damage consideration. And there was a strong push by the G77 uh, plus China and including uh, the small island developing states for a financing facility, a dedicated financing facility for loss and damage. However, that did not succeed. What has been agreed is to establish a dialogue process going forward to discuss funding arrangements for loss and damage. So overall, there had been progress made in Glasgow, but that uh, leaves a, a lot of follow-up work to be done. Thank you so much, Seve. It's great for our audience to hear about your experience, your personal experience as a representative from the Pacific Seeds to such an important event. And it's uh, great you know, to have some insights and some in the first-hand impression that you gave us. So thank you for that. And it's good to hear about the encouraging commitment, including yeah, all the things you mentioned, like the mention of, of fossil fuels, the deforestation pledge, the call for climate finance, and the mention of loss and damage issues. So all these are, as you mentioned, encouraging commitment, encouraging signs. But as you mentioned, the follow-up action will be decisive and uh, world leaders needs to commit more. Uh, I want to uh, go through my third question. You kind of already talked about it, but maybe you can give us a little bit more insight. 
So let me ask you, and before asking the question, I would like to bring up one of the most, I would say, most powerful moments that happened at COP26. In fact, your foreign minister, Tuvalu foreign minister, Simon Kofe, gave a speech standing knee-deep in seawater to show how Tuvalu is on the front line of the climate crisis. Again, this was, uh, I believe, the most powerful message that drew the entire uh, world's leader attention. Not only world's leader, the entire world attention. So uh, let me ask you again, do you believe that the world leaders did commit to address the climate crisis with concrete actions? Or do you think that more work needs to be done to protect those on the front line of the climate crisis? I mean, in other words, are you satisfied with the pledges and ambitions made at this decisive event? For a, a country like my country, Tuvalu, which is at the front line of uh, climate change, we are not satisfied with the Glasgow outcome, although there has been a, a lot of uh, expression of commitment made on a whole range of uh, climate targets, which for Tuvalu, those large countries would really need to take action quickly rather than pushing further out. For instance, in the Glasgow Climate Pact, the outcomes document, it recognized the International Panel of Climate Change, which is the world scientific body monitoring the climate change and the impact of climate change, whereby it calls for global carbon dioxide emissions to be reduced by 45% by 2030 and to net zero by 2050. So a number of countries uh, made pledges uh, in Glasgow. However, if we were to take into account all of those pledges, the, that would mean that uh, the global average temperature rise would come to roughly about 2.4 degrees. And for long-term net zero targets by the year 2050, that would only limit temperatures to 1.8. So it's still a fair way out from the target uh, 1.5 threshold. So this is where the, the follow-up action that uh, the big emitting countries will really need to commit to further reduction of emissions for their countries so that that 1.5 degree target is kept alive going into the next COP. So that is really now the main issue for small countries like Tuvalu. On the one hand is the mitigation targets by the, the big emitting countries. And then on the adaptation side where countries that are at the front line of climate change like Tuvalu, there is need to double and increase adaptation financing and also in terms of developing a process for considering financing towards loss and damage. So those are the, the follow-up uh, actions that uh, countries would really need to deliver between now and the next COP. Thank you so much for your answer. It clearly highlights that, uh, and it's good to hear that uh, you, as a Pacific representative, you are not satisfied that Glasgow and COP26 was, I, I can say, and I can agree with you, that was not enough. I mean, you mentioned the progress, which are great, but as the IPCC report, the last IPCC report mentioned, and you mentioned, if we continue with this trend, the future doesn't look good for anyone. So it is great uh, to hear that uh, from you that the mitigation and implementation measures need to be speed up and increase. 
the scope of those actions is to increase if we want to ensure a sustainable future. So thank you for that. Please let me go to our next questions. So as I mentioned before, COP26 was a decisive moment to tackle the climate crisis and ensure a sustainable future, not only for the Pacific countries, which are facing the impacts of climate change now, but for the entire planet, which will face the same impacts in the next following years. So in your opinion, what are the most urgent and effective measures that governments and development partners need to take to address the climate crisis in the Pacific as a follow-up to this decisive event? So uh, for the Pacific, there are two main priorities. One is in terms of raising climate finance, and secondly, in terms of uh, adaptation. So in terms of climate finance, development partners would really need to make sure they deliver on their commitment. There has been a a lot of pledges made, but that hasn't been realized. So they need to deliver on their pledge on climate finance. As far as the modality for delivering that, the financial mechanism would need to be streamlined, ensure that that money actually gets down to the country level and is readily accessible. So that is the challenge for many of the Pacific Island countries. There's one thing on pledging climate finance, and there is another challenge for accessing that. So the rules governing that financial mechanism would need to be streamlined and ensure that it's readily accessible by countries. And then in terms of uh, adaptation, so for the low-lying atoll nations such as Tuvalu, our biggest priority and challenge is to protect our islands from being submerged because of the impact of uh, the sea level rising. So we are in a situation where our land is fast disappearing and we are literally sinking. So our top priority now is to protect our islands and our land. And in order to do that, we have a national long-term adaptation plan whereby we reclaim land but build it up upwards and raise it. So it's raised land reclamation. That is the only option for low-lying atoll nations like Tuvalu. There is no other option to protecting it from the land fast disappearing. And in order to do that, uh, we need climate finance and development financing. And we need the support of uh, development partners to mobilize such financing and support the technical engineering design for those kinds of uh, land, long-term land adaptation projects. Thank you, Seve, for uh, highlighting this, the most urgent measures that are needed, especially about the climate finance. And it is great that you highlighted the existential threat that climate change is uh, posing to to, uh, countries like Tuvalu. So, as you mentioned, your country is disappearing. That's something like shocking and something that the world needs to realize and take action. So it's great to hear from you that climate finance and more commitment is needed. And hopefully our audience will hear your message. I mean, this is just a podcast and a conversation between us, but I hope that this message will go through at the higher level for taking more action, climate finance and adaptation measures. So I think you did your work in a way, you know, you can't do much. It's up to world leaders to now to take action because you did a great job in uh, raising awareness, in showing what you're facing. So I would say that uh, this is great and uh, the world now needs to take action. So 
Thank you for that. I would just like to ask you the, our last question for today. So you mentioned this already about development partners, about the climate finance, but uh, how do you think Tuvalu in particular can be further supported to ensure that it has the necessary capacities to address the climate crisis? So, okay, if the answer is climate finance, you said that already, but if you would like to add something on that, please go ahead. Thank you. So we uh, are being supported uh, to undertake a number of um, uh, climate vulnerability assessment by development partners, uh, one of which is, uh, of course, uh, the uh, climate security project uh, funded by the UN Peacebuilding Fund and a whole range of other similar initiatives whereby provides assessment capability to evaluate our climate vulnerability, identify those uh, vulnerabilities, and then make some proposed options to address and mitigate those vulnerabilities. So that is uh, the first phase. And then in terms of uh, the response, that's where Tuvalu would like to mobilize support from the international community and especially for development partners in terms of besides financing, the technical support to enable Tuvalu to be able to work through the various response options to address those uh, climate vulnerability and, and climate security issues that have been identified. So I see going forward is a, a partnership between Tuvalu and its development partners working through those platforms and those initiatives to address the climate crisis uh, that Tuvalu and the Pacific and the world is facing. Thank you so much, Seve. It's great to know that uh, even our small contribution as a project is supporting Tuvalu in, this, in addressing the climate crisis. In fact, the assessment is a big part, you know, to identify the vulnerabilities and propose the pilot initiatives to mitigate those climate. In our case, the climate-related security risks, especially food security and water security, but great to know which kind of support is needed from, from Tuvalu. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for being here with us today. It was uh, really exciting to hear from you about your experience at COP26, what was the outcomes of the, of the event, but also what is needed as a follow-up action for the future. So thank you again, Seve. And this concludes our episode for today. It was, again, an honor to have you with us. And please stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. Thank you, Julio, for the opportunity to speak with you on this podcast. Tuvalu would uh, certainly appreciate the understanding of uh, the audience and uh, the international community in terms of the support that uh, it needs to address climate uh, change impacts. Thank you.